How many of you have seen the movie Noah? Wow, I got one hand. Is that it? A couple in the balcony. I have not seen it yet. I plan on seeing it. It came and went so quick here in town. I'm not sure if that's a, a good, uh, good sign for the movie people, although it came out in March. Russell Crowe uh, was, uh, was Noah in the movie, and he's a very well-known and uh, accomplished actor, and worldwide it's made millions of dollars, so it's hundreds of millions of dollars, so it's been successful at least worldwide. Now, it's interesting that one of the directors, a man named Darren, said this. This is such honesty. He said, this is the most unbiblical biblical movie ever made. Did you get that? So if you're going and going, you know, I really want to see a great biblical story about Noah. That is not the movie to go to because he is, how honest that was to say it's about a Bible story, but it is not biblical. In other words, we didn't follow the biblical narrative or principles in it at all. What we're going to try to do the next four or five weeks in Genesis 6, 7, and 8 uh, and 9, we're going to try to unpack it from the Bible. What the Bible says about this story. And this morning, I want to kind of lay some foundations. I want to lay four fundamental foundations from Genesis 6 about the story of Noah and how radically applicable it is still to our lives today. So today's kind of a foundation. We're going to start with this, the weird. The weird part of the story. In fact, the whole story really in many, many ways is weird. We, uh, weird is not uncommon though, is it? Not, not, how many of you know someone who's weird? Point at them if they're in this room. No men will point their wives. This church is full of cowardly men. That's been proven. Have you ever heard of, a, of, of Wolfman Syndrome? Have you ever heard of that before? That, that is a real disease. That is not a mask right there. That is a real disease that that it can affect just parts of your body, your whole body, where hair just grows uncontrollably. Now, if they showed up at your house, you would give them some candy and think you were off on your holidays, correct? I mean, that's sad. I mean, it's got to be tough to live with that. Hypertrichosis is what that is called. Let me read to you some other weird things of our, uh, of our world. The longest time between the birth of two twins, twins being born, how long would you think it was? 15 minutes, an hour, a couple hours? Try 87 days. 87 days. That's pretty weird, isn't it? You celebrate your twin's birthday uh, like three months after yours. That's really, that's weird. Here's another weird thing. You know, yesterday was a major uh, uh, horse race. Uh, In 1923, a jockey named Frank Hayes won a race at Belmont in New York despite being dead. He he had a massive heart attack mid-race, died on the horse, hung on to the horse somehow, and his horse, which was a 20-to-1 to win, uh, won. He won the race as a dead guy, and if you bet on that horse, you made a lot of money. So that's, uh, you agree that's a little bit different? Here's something that's really strange. Sigrid the Mighty, a 9th century Norse Earl of Orkney, just his name is weird, uh, he was killed by an enemy he had beheaded several hours earlier. Well, think about it. Are you following me on this? He tied the man's head to his horse saddle. He's taking it home as a trophy. Our guests take taxidermy. Can you mount this for me, please? Uh, while he was riding home, a protruding tooth stuck into his leg. He got an infection, and he died. That is poetic justice at its best. How'd Grandpa die? You'd never believe me if I told you how Grandpa died. Have you ever heard of the blue people from Kentucky? 
Now, I grew up near Kentucky, so, uh, you know, I, this, is, this is very possible. This is true. These are the full gates. It's a family, a group of family uh, that live together in, through inbreeding, which never is a good thing, and, uh, and some genetical problems. They have a blue tint to their skin. Is that not? How many of you agree that's weird? Now, I mean, you feel sorry for them, and you, you would hate to be one of the blue people, uh, but, but that, that's strange. Well, we're going to look at a story that, that is, uh, honestly, it really is pretty weird. It's pretty weird. Uh, you know, I heard the movie is, uh, some people say it's really good, but it's certainly it's bizarre. But in verses 1 through 4 of Genesis 6, it says, When men began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them. That's not weird. The sons of men, the sons of God, I'm sorry, saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any they chose. This is getting a little weird. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. And in verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, uh, men of renown. This is, uh, this is a strange story. It really is. W.A. Criswell was a great Bible scholar and pastor. And Dr. Criswell talked about interpreting Scripture. And this is a great rule. He, he said, when you're in trying to understand the Bible, most of the time the simplest, easy, easiest explanation of a text is the one you go with. Unless context dictates otherwise. You, 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 you interpret the Bible in its simplest way. That, that's that's uh, very smart and intelligent. The only problem here is this is there's nothing simple about what we're fixing to see. Go back to verse 1 and 2. Men begin to increase. Daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful, and they married any of them, them that they chose. Now, who are these sons of God here? Again, I haven't seen the movie. I've heard it. They, they are portrayed in very odd ways, but... but let me give you, if you're taking notes, if you, I'm give two if you're not taking notes too, but three major interpretations of what this was here. Again, this is the kind of foundation to the story. Three major interpretations over the last hundreds of years about who these sons of God were. Number one, the sons of God were fallen angels. They were demons. It, it give you a little quick history. The Bible says that there was a war in heaven, but, and, and uh, Lucifer fought against the Lord, and he lost, and he took... A third of the angels with him down here to earth. And one of the interpretations of this passage here is that demons, fallen angels, were marrying human beings. And they were having bad-to-the-bone children. I mean, would you like to play in a football game against a team of demons? No, uh, half-demon, half-human. You, you would not. Now, Matthew 22, verse 30 throws a little bit of a kink into this theory. It says, at the resurrection, people neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So you, you see there, angels and marriage and all, it's that, that, you know, an angel's a spirit, but can an angel uh, show forth in a human body? And yeah, they did in the, the Old Testament for sure. But another part of this is that demons were possessing human beings and possessing men, and then they were marrying women, and they were having some really wicked, wild, bad kids. In 1 Peter 3, way over the end of the New Testament, verse 18 through 20, gives credence to this. It says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, and to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Through him also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. That's who went to hell. 
who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So one theory here is these sons of gods were, were angels, fallen angels, demons, who were interbreeding with humans. Would you agree that's a little odd? That's a little odd. You never learned this when you were learning your Noah story as a kid growing up, did you? Here's the second interpretation. The sons of God were, were royal and powerful men, just royal, powerful humans. Probably from the bloodline of Cain, they were not good people. In verse 4, it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. We'll talk more about them in a second. And also afterwards, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and they had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. One theory is that these were, uh, Seth, we'll see in a moment, was from the bloodline of, of Adam and Abel, and Cain was from the bloodline of Adam, but he went bad. And so one theory is this is the bloodline of Cain, and these were royal, powerful people. These were influential people, and they were doing terrible things. And, and one of the things you're going to see in here that, that coincides with why the world was destroyed at this point has to do with marriage. One theory is that they were, they were marrying anybody they wanted to. They were powerful. If they came in to your community, they wanted your wife, they took your wife. They wanted your kids, they took your kids. They had 50 wives, they could get 51 tomorrow if they went to the mall. They didn't have malls, but you're getting my point here, and decided they saw a woman who was beautiful. One of the horrible practices in ancient days was called the, the rite of the first night. Now, if you saw the movie Braveheart, this is what sent Mel Gibson over the edge or whoever Mel Gibson was, the ride of the first night was a terrible custom where you get married and then the governor or the leader of your community, your area can come in and he can take your wife, your bride on the wedding night and he can take her and sleep with her that first night and then bring her back to you the next day. And that very well could have been happening at this time. And you can imagine the chaos and the sin that that brought and how that would have completely been against anything God wanted them to be. These may have been demons. These may have been royal, powerful, wicked people. Here's a third line, third thought. These were the sons, uh, of, the sons of God were the godly men from the bloodline of Seth. Again, Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. You remember that? Cain was bad. Cain did what to Abel? Probably stole his blocks growing up, but he ended up hitting him with a block. He kills him. And then they, Adam and Eve have another son who is Seth, and Seth is a godly person. And you see in chapters 4 and 5, the bloodline of Seth, which Noah's in, is a good bloodline. Some people believe what happened here was the bloodline of Seth, which was godly, originally began to intermarry with the bloodline of Cain. Godly men began to be careless in who they married, and they began to go all sorts of bad places and bad spots from this point. So what is my belief on this? I have no idea, to be honest with you. Uh, I hate to say that to you. Normally, I want to give you what I believe and what I think. I, I don't think it really matters uh, ultimately who these, this group was. But here's the problem. Here's the fundamental principle. It really goes back to this. And, and if you ever thought about this, that the reason, one of the initial reasons God intervened so strongly in the days of Noah is people were getting their marriages upside down. The family was getting distorted. Things were getting twisted and how they were marrying and, and their, their relationships and their sexual relationships. Doesn't that sound like America 2014? I'll us a little bit. The, the water literally begins to fall in, in a in hundred or so years and it began 
with the disruption and the downfall of the family. Think about that. That's pretty, pretty significant. Now, let's go back to verse 3 and figure out what it's saying. Verse 3 says, Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever. For he's mortal, his days will be 120 years. Now, this means one of two things. One, it can mean that God was saying that up to this point, people have been living hundreds of years, and that God said, look, okay, this isn't working. And so the, 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 top, the top age of a person is going to be 120 years. I heard of a, a doctor on TV one time. And, of course, you hear a doctor on TV. It's like something you Google. It's got to be true, right? And he, but here's what he said. He said, that basically people live to be about 120 years. That, that's about the max. And at, at that point, you just, you just fall apart. You know, that, that, that seems to be uh, your limit. Now, the only problem with that theory is, or that interpretation is, even a couple of chapters past this, people live past 120 years. Another belief, and my belief here, is what God was saying is, look, I'm going to destroy the world because of the wickedness. It began with the marriages. It begins with the families and how corrupt and terrible they had become. But I'm given a 120-year grace period. I'm given 120 years for these people to get them right. Listen, when you hear somebody, and I, and I think this has been implied some from Russell Crowe himself, that God, knowing them, were, were bad and they were terrible and they were unmerciful. Listen, if God came to you today and God says, I'm fixing, I'm going to knock your block off. you got 10 years to get it right. I don't have any mercy on you or me if we don't have it right in nine and a half years. Amen? Amen? Good grief. My dad would give me like 10 seconds and then the belt came off. 120 years is pretty cool, isn't it? Second Peter, uh, excuse me, 1 Peter 3.20 gives credence to this. It says, who disobey, talking about those fallen angels, long ago when God, read that with me, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. Now also in verse 3, one thing that, that bothers me, it says, my spirit will not contend with man forever. Folks, there's going to be a point in your life where God's going to stop contending with you. I don't know what that point is. I know certainly that when you die, he's going to. But, but, but God's been telling some of you there's things you need to change or you need to get saved, you need to get right, you need to change this in your marriage and, and how you do life and your commitment to Christ, and you're putting it off, you're putting it off, and you're putting it off. And maybe even this morning, the Spirit of God is saying in your heart, I'm not going to continue to pull on you forever. The time to act is always today. The time to act is always today. Verse 4 is the last part of this weird, and it is strange. It says, The Nephilim were also on earth in those days. And afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them, they were the heroes of old and men of renown. What in the world are the Nephilim? The Nephilim are also mentioned, if you're taking notes, in Numbers 13. Numbers 13, they're mentioned when the children of Israel were getting ready to go in the promised land. You remember Moses sent out 12 spies. Two came back and said, sharpen your swords. Let's go get us some bad guys. Remember that? He said, we're going to get it done. Ten said, oh, we can't do it. We can't do it. They take a vote and they don't do it. And one of the things the ten spies said is the Nephilim are there. The Nephilim. Who were the Nephilim who were here in the days of Noah and also after that? Well, they were probably a giant people. They were big people, powerful people, not only powerful physically, but powerful rulers and bold and, and, and probably wicked people. 
too. They were physically and emotionally intimidating people. How many of you agree, honestly, when you look at this story, it's a little bit weird? It's going to get weird in a little bit when God floods the earth. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Like, that's happened once since the beginning of the world. The weird. Now, let's look at the second thing, and that's the wild. And boy, there's some wild in this story. In verse 5, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all of the time. Now, here's one thing. When you think about what the sons of God, demons, nowhere after this does God say, I'm going to punish these people, I'm going to destroy the earth because of the demons or how they behave. God says, I'm, I'm fixing to act because of the way the people are and the way the people behave. He, he uses the word wickedness. And the word wickedness means, means malignant. You know what malignant means? It means it's bad and it spreads. It, it's noxious or poisonous. Verse 11 and 12, when he was talking about the people of this day, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and full of violence. So God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth corrupted their ways. The word corrupt there means decay or to devastate. It means the people were like a lion on a rampage. You, you, you can imagine if we turned a lion loose in this room right now, it wouldn't be good for those who don't run fast, correct? Remember, you do not have to outrun the lion, do you? You just have to outrun your wife or your girlfriend, right? Or your husband. It's supposed to be funny, but it is true. Find somebody you can outrun and get ahead of them, and then you're probably okay. But the picture, these people were just wild. They were like wild animals. He uses the word violence. means they were oppressive, and they, they, they damaged people. And in verse 7, it says, So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and the birds of the air. I am grieved I made them. In verse 13, so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people. The earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm going to destroy them. Now, again, I haven't seen the movie, but here's what I've been told. Is the movie implies that God destroyed the earth because people were mistreating the environment. They were mistreating, uh, they, they, they weren't good environmentalists. They weren't green enough. They were mistreating earth. And, and I want to tell you, God loves the environment. God created that world. God loves the ecology. He cr- created the ecosystems, but God did not destroy the earth with this flood because people weren't green enough. God destroyed the earth because people were wicked and rebelling against him. That is a huge point that you and I have to be right on. I've heard old-timers say, I heard it my whole life, it's never been worse than it is today. Y'all heard that before? You know, and they're normally looking at young people when they've never been worse than it is today. It's bad, 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 bad. How many of y'all have heard that? Through the year, every person, older people, we're trained to say that. When you get 50, that's part of your AARP cards you get. The world's terrible, world's terrible. Next time somebody tells you it's never been worse than it that, uh, ever in the history, tell them to read Genesis 6. We're going to see in a moment there was one righteous man. It was terrible. Now, I want to tell you this morning something that, that needs to get our attention, not just understanding Noah, but understanding you and me. How are you living? You know, God's eyes are still just as good today as they were in Noah's day. God sees how you do life and how I do life. 
God's aware of our attitudes, our behaviors, our commitment to Him. Never forget that these wild people were human beings. That's at least the ones God was going to bring the, the disaster on was the way the people were behaving. And Romans 3.23 says, For everyone I don't like has sinned. <laughs> right? What does it say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's the third thing this morning. We have the, the, the weird, the wild, and now we have the wounded. We have the wounded. Somebody in this story's heart is broken. In verse 6 and 7, The Lord was grieved that he made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds are there, for I am grieved that I have made them. The word grieved is a great Old Testament word. It means to draw breath forcefully. It's, it's, it's like visibly you can see someone breathing. It's, it's, the, it's the picture of when you hear something that just breaks your heart or that makes you mad, you just... You, you sigh with, with heartache. And you know, if your heart's ever been broken, you know heartache, emotional pain, hurts you physically, doesn't it? And, and it's, it's really interesting. God, I think God certainly is angry here, but more than that, God is grieved. They, they were hurting the heart of God. Have you ever thought about this? That when you sin, and you and I do every single day, as Brandon kind of gave a little bit of a, uh, a shot of laughter, but sincerity about if you don't think you do wrong, then you've got bigger problems than anybody else. But it grieves God. Ephesians 4.30, listen to what it says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. The, the Holy Spirit is God. In, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, it says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Don't quench the Spirit of God in you. Folks, when you lust, when you commit adultery, when you lie, when you gossip, when your attitude is rotten to the core, when, when your commitment to Christ is watered down and weak, when the last time you picked up your Bible, it was to kill a spider in April, That grieves the heart of God. And anytime you you come to the flood story, it starts. It's weird, and it, it, you got wild, sinful people. But before you see an angry, bitter God that's just going to blast everybody, you need to see the God of the Scriptures as one who is grieving, who was sad at what he saw. And you need to remember that you and I do the same thing to God when we sin and we fall short of what he wants in us. Now, I want to give you one last thing this morning, and that's the one. Yes, I put a W up there. It should be an O, but I was trying to get four Ws in a row, and I just couldn't do it this morning. The one person. We're going to look next week about Noah, and specifically in detail, we're going to hang on to him on Father's Day. But it'll be for you moms and women too. Russell Crowe, and we'll show you a clip on it next week, he made some really almost blasphemous statements about Noah. 
I want to tell you, Noah was a great guy. Noah was a great guy. Noah's not a great guy because I'm saying he's a great guy because God said he was a great guy. Look in verse 8 with me in your Bibles what it says about him. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Favor means he found God's grace, and he didn't find it. God just didn't randomly pick Noah out of a hopper. Look in verse 9 why Noah found God's favor. It says, Noah was a righteous man. Righteous means that, that he was lawful, that he obeyed God, that he treated other people right. It says he was blameless. It doesn't mean sinless and perfect. It means he was upright. He was a person of integrity. It Literally, it, it meant he was not odious to God. He didn't stink to God. It says he walked with God. That word walked means it's a, it's a lifestyle. It means that as his life, he was not perfect, but Noah consistently and continually lived for God. Wow. How many people were alive in Noah's day? We'll look at that more in the next week or two. You know, when I was a kid and I heard this story when I was eight, they left out a lot of these details for good reason. But I would have guessed maybe 200. It was kind of a village. When I got a little bit older, I thought, well, maybe it's 10,000 or 20,000. I've heard, I don't know, nobody knows. I've heard a million. I've heard there may have been a billion people on the face of the earth when Noah was alive. We don't know. But here's what we do know. There was one person, one person, one person who walked with God. It's never been worse than it was then. I want to ask you this morning, do you walk with God? You live with integrity. Do you do people right in your life? Are you honest? Are you lawful? Are you obedient to God? And, and, and here, here's, the, here's the easy thing to say. Oh, pastor, you, you live in a bubble. You work at a church. You can just pray all day and listen to Christian music. No, I have to work with Josh. <laughs> but I understand what you're saying. You think someday when you get to heaven, you're going to get sympathy from Noah because you work with some lost people that are bad? Noah, Noah didn't have anybody that he could... We don't even know if his wife and the other seven who were saved were godly people. The Bible just says Noah was. You're talking about a lily among thorns. You're talking about somebody who was righteous in an unrighteous world. Well, you know, with the team I'm on or, 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 or the people I'm around or in my community or in my club, man, all of them cuss. They're drinkers. They're wild. They're crazy. Well, either get out of it or make a difference where you are. Change your, your place or change that place. God said you need to be salt and light. What does that mean? It means that that light, man, it warms, it, it shows the way, it illuminates, it exposes bad stuff. Salt adds flavor. You put it on your chips. Maybe today it should you the chocolate syrup too, you know. You just make it better. But salt preserves. Jesus said, listen, I've left you here on this earth. I've left you here to illuminate it, to warm it, to preserve it, to bring flavor to it. Don't you dare say, well, it's just too tough where I live and work. Think about Noah. But he was righteous and he was godly. I want to challenge you this morning, wherever you are in your walk with, with God, maybe you're not a Christian. We're going to give you a chance in a moment to become one. But I want to tell you, if Noah can do it, you can do it too. 
Yeah, it was weird. It was wild. God's heart was broken. But there was one person that stayed true. I hope that'll be you and me. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, man, are you staying true to God? Are you, are you walking with God? Would he say these things about you today that he said about Noah? And if not, man, will you get it right with him? And if you're not a Christian today or you're unsure of your salvation, would you pray with me where you are and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to I turn from my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and and that you arose for me. And Jesus, this morning, I give you my life. By faith, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior and as my Lord.